But man, you know what I'm still bummed about? What? Uh, this happened years ago, back when we first uh, went to uh, San Diego Comic-Con for the first time. And they had the heavy metal booth, as you recall. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, spent a lot of money at that booth. And one of the things that I picked up was a VHS copy of Heavy Metal. But there was a lot going on, you know, buying a lot of old mags. Uh, Grant Morrison was there. I was trying to get him to sign his uh, Chaos Magic special magazine edition, whatever. And amongst all of it, I didn't realize until I got back to the hotel that night that while I thought I bought a copy of Heavy Metal, I got a copy of Heavy Metal 2000. I thought that that's where you were going with this. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, it's an interesting curio nonetheless. And not only did I uh, buy a copy of Heavy Metal 2000, but they threw in a free Motley Crue cassette while I was at it. So Word. just 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 salt on wounds. Okay, well that's weird because like Motley Crue would have even been anachronistic for when Heavy Metal 2000 came out. Like Motley Crue was washed up by like 1991. Yeah, they were they were just giving them away free with purchase. So I assume they must have just fallen into a bunch of Motley Crue singles at some point, and they were just trying to pawn them off. Please, we went long on Motley Crue. This was a terrible investment. I cannot I cannot keep these shitty fucking cassette tapes in my apartment any longer. <laughs> I tried making an ottoman of them, but they are falling apart. Please take one of them. They're very sharp. I'm very concerned that my child is going to put an eye out on one of these and like a piece of furniture made out of motley crew cassette tapes <laughs> i've seen people online build like playhouses for their kids out of unsold copies of speed on vhs <laughs> well speed is very much the uh, motley crew of films <laughs> i've been saying I, this for years i don't know that I, that that seems a little mean i'm not sure if speed deserves that distinction <laughs> I want to say Armageddon is the Motley Crew of films, which makes Aerosmith the Motley Crew of bands by extension. <laughs> All right, I can get behind that logic. <laughs> um, I mean, what were they if not the Motley Crew of the seventies? Yeah, I guess that that's probably true. <laughs> like, I've been on a heavy metal kick recently, and I was like, "Yeah, I still watch heavy metal." Oh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> I fucked up. Well, I've never actually seen Heavy Metal 2000. Is it bad? Like, I mean, I know it's not it's not it's not as good, but is it actually bad? It's not great. Not great. It's not great. Actually, actually that re- that reminded me though. There was around the turn of the millennium, there was like a trend of making sequels that nobody asked for and then just st- like naming them after the movie that you're like cashing in on blank 2000 2000 at the end like uh, i know blues brothers, brothers 2000, 2000. Uh, what uh, else are you thinking fantasia 2000 fantasia um, 2000 was, wasn't bad it wasn't bad but it wasn't as good no but you know it, it was clearly like they set out with the goal to make a new fantasia and we're just kind of like they like we they were kind of like all right we designed the poster we need a movie to go with the poster i don't know i there are moments in Fantasia 2000 that have, you know, actual inspiration behind them. It's just that there's other segments that really don't. Yeah. Like, can't the, say the same the original, thing for... The original Fantasia, even the weak segments are still pretty good. Can't say the same thing for Blues Brothers 2000, though. No, no one had a thought in the process of making that movie. 
No, yeah. And it's and it's was... tell and it's telling because the way that movie ends is just like they're just kind of like driving and you think that there's going to be like a whole nother act and then just like credits start rolling over their faces. <laughs> yeah, there's like, just like like they if just... anybody's still in the theater, I think we're done here. Yeah, they just, the movie just goes for about 90 minutes and then it just kind of stops. Yeah. The, so, the mean, lights come on in the auditorium and the usher starts sweeping up the, the jizz and popcorn. So, you know, all things considered, Heavy Metal 2000 could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I, I, that fair enough. I'd rather watch Heavy Metal 2000 than Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah. That might be the lowest bar to clear, though. I'd rather do most things than watch <laughs> Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> So welcome back to Splatterpunks. My name is Ness. And David. And David, imagine that you're just an ordinary, everyday space trucker. Sure, the job's not as glamorous as Deep Purple made it seem, but it pays the bills all right, and you get to spend most of your time asleep in your little stasis pod. Then one day, you get woken up at your pod early. At first, you're annoyed, being that you're only halfway to Earth and you're being ordered to check out a distress signal down on some barren rock. But if the crew's dead and there's anything salvageable down there, it could be a nice little bonus in it for you. About a day later, your buddy's had his rib cage blown open and there's a nine-foot-tall penis monster loose on your ship. Don't you just hate when that happens? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's no good. Yeah, it's no good. No good for anyone involved, except maybe the penis monster. So yeah, if the plot synopsis wasn't enough, tonight we're taking a look at Ridley Scott's Alien from 1979. Along with Star Wars, this was probably one of the first big movies that legitimized sci-fi as a respectable film genre, and not just the hokey ray guns and robots that have ruled the day before. Can't really think of too many others yeah, before well, it, I mean, really. Uh, well, I mean, you had stuff like The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah, but today the Earth was... 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's true. But um, Day the Earth Stood Still and Forbidden Planet were kind of the uh, the exceptions that uh, proved the rule. Because, you know, there's those two amongst a sea of It Conquered the World and The Beast of Yucca Flats and that sort of thing. One of my personal favorites, uh, Attack of the Giant Leeches. Attack of the Giant Leech's rules, just not in the same direction as those other movies. No. There's the remake of Attack of the Giant Leeches. That has to be public domain. Why isn't sci-fi tapping that? Uh, because you haven't made it yet. Well, I don't work for sci-fi. <laughs> well, call him and tell him to give you a fucking job. I got, uh, a pit I got a pitch for you, and all it's going to cost you is a roll of hefty garbage bags. <laughs> I'll provide the swamp myself. Yeah, uh, for once we're command we're demanding that somebody besides the mouse iris. But yeah, and along with Halloween, Alien was also probably one of the movies that was responsible for kicking off the uh, the slasher boom that would hit in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, I would say that it's you know kind of a it kind of presaged the slasher boom because like it's not explicitly a slasher a slasher movie, but it does have a lot of the same tropes. It's not explicitly a slasher movie, but it's totally a slasher movie because. Uh, you had uh, you had Alien in 79, Halloween in 78, 
Texas Chainsaw in 73, but I don't think that really busted the blocks the way that Alien or even Halloween did. Yeah, I mean, not not in the same way, no. That was, Texas Chainsaw kind of played more to the Grindhouse audience. The Grindhouse audience, the drive-in audience, you know, still presumably made a lot of money. No one actually knows how much it made because it all got taken by the mob, but... Uh, it made significantly more than it cost to shoot. Let's just presume that. We're reasonably sure it turned a profit. Yeah. Well, it, I can't imagine it didn't because it looks like it sh- took about $500 to shoot. Oh, yeah, that's that's kind of the beauty of it. But despite being uh, very much a movie locked into uh, the late 70s, it's basically just a remake of uh, 1958's It, The Terror from Beyond Space. You remember that one? Of course you don't, because no one has ever seen it. Yeah. Yeah, that that one seems like the, the kind of film that would more end up on like a... Might even be... Like, I don't know if it's as bad to be like Mystery Science Theater tier, but, you know, it's not a particularly well-remembered film. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad movie, because I'm one of the few who actually has seen it, but... Uh, it, you know, it was like a little low budget independence, uh, space movie. We're not making fa- uh, forbidden planet over here, but it does retain the yeah. spiffy jumpsuits. Well, I mean, yeah, it's still kind of the era of Ray Gun Gothic, even if it wasn't exactly a Ray Gun Gothic movie. Yeah. Uh, Ray Gun Gothic only, you know, with cardboard sets and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to cut one of the stage hands accidentally kicked over the lander. <laughs> Can we get some, like, uh, nice uh, scenery, like, in Forbidden Planet? You know, like, some map paintings? Like, are you out of your mind? Just drive out to the fucking rocks out in the desert outside of L.A. Shoot it there. <laughs> I feel like that exact phrase has come up a lot of times in the history of filmmaking. Just drive out to those fucking rocks outside of L.A. Shoot it there? Yeah. <laughs> Probably half of all sci-fi movies made in, like, the 1950s and 60s. Somebody was just like, what are the sets? We're not paying for fucking sets. Just drive out of the fucking desert. I mean, I know minimum one, probably three episodes of Star Trek, the original series, all used like the same patch of deserts. Yeah, I, uh, like uh, all of those, like, because there, there was a, a wave of movies that were all just like set in the desert. And I'm pretty sure it was because it was free to just shoot in the desert. Like them and uh, like the Beast of Yucca Flats and the giant Gila monster and uh, robot monster, all of that, like you know, really schlocky, schlocky shit. Well, uh, the uh, the giant Gila monster was uh, mostly set on a uh, collection of dollhouses. I'm pretty sure, but yeah, someone just went to the pet store and bought a fucking lizard and had to crawl around a bunch of playsets, and there's your movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it the terror from beyond space probably only remembered because it's clearly the original version of Alien. Uh, it has the uh, the same setup with your crew of uh, jumpsuited space cowboys venturing out near Mars when they pick up a distress beacon from a downed ship. There's only one survivor, so they all assume that he just killed his mates for their survival rations, though he insists that they got marked by some kind of hostile alien, and he turns out to be very much right when said critter sneaks his way onto the ship and scuttles his way through the air vents, carrying out cat-and-mouse-style assassinations, and they even resolve the situation the same way with spacing both aliens out the airlock. Yeah, and see, I although think actually, although actually, that's would've... that's incorrect. He doesn't get spaced out the airlock. His fat alien ass can't fit out the airlock, so he just gets stuck and kind of dies there. 
I think that the main thing, like if I were making the movie, I think the main thing that I would have done is kind of kept the tension up as to whether or not there actually is a hostile alien on the ship or if it was just this crazy fucking drifter that they picked out out in the middle of space uh, who's like murdering people or something. I feel like that could have made it a much more interesting movie. Suspense? Are you crazy? Just put Gary in a paper mache suit and have him run around. <laughs> Preferably in the desert. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the ship's not done. Uh, the fucking glue won't hold together. So uh, shoot some more scenes out in the desert. Yeah. The, move, the, the studio executive said uh, before hopping into his giant car uh, to buy more oversized cigars. Oh, this, this wasn't a studio movie. This was produced by like the guy from Ed Wood who he sold the rights to Glenn or Glenda too. Yeah. I could see him still uh, chewing on a giant, like cartoonishly large stogies. Driving a fucking boat. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was the 1950s. Everybody drove just absurdly large cars. Yeah, that's true. Uh, calling Very it a boat, cars too. C- calling it a boat is kind of redundant when that when cars are just like that. Yeah, yeah. Every car was very, very big and very pointy. Uh, traffic fatalities were uh, absurdly high. Much greater incident of getting impaled on a headlight. Yeah, but, but you know, it, it's it's just you know it's it's a risk that you take with the territory you know it's we're not going to we're not going to stop making our cars extremely pointy with giant fins for no reason yeah we're not gonna like, we're everybody, not gonna everybody's not... everybody gets their own everybody gets their own personal goddamn batmobile that's america <laughs> the, this was even before the uh, the batman tv series so it's like do you think the batmobile would have looked that weird just like driving out on like rodeo drive I don't know. If anything, it probably would have been. I'm pretty sure that. If anything, it probably would have gotten side eye for being too small. Had a Batmobile. I'm pretty sure that Golden Age Batman had a Batmobile, didn't he? Uh, You would know better than I would, but if it did, would it have even looked that outrageous compared to what people were actually driving at the time? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it it looks pretty fucking weird. Okay. I know in the Silver Age, the Joker had a Joker mobile that was basically just an Oscar Mayer weenie mobile with his giant like face on it on the front. He just had a penchant for just putting his fucking face on everything. I feel like in Maximum Overdrive, it should have been a giant Joker face instead of a Green Goblin face. Yeah, maybe they didn't want to pay the licensing. Uh, the Green Goblin was probably much cheaper at the time. Maybe Stephen King didn't think through anything during the production of that movie because he was just fucking floored out of his fucking skull on cocaine uh this is true i have his book where he mentions that yeah i just have no recollection of writing cujo i just i just woke up one day and there was a book (laughs) yeah his face just fucking caked in residue yeah one of these days and there's a a manuscript yeah uh he's been sober for years but nevertheless one of these days his nose is just gonna fall off He's doing all right so far. He's probably he's almost eighty years old, I think. Uh, being worth half a billion dollars probably does wonders for your health. Yeah, yeah. Uh, weird coincidence that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you mentioned what you would change about uh, it was uh, doing more, making it more of a uh, a who done it, you know, whether the alien is real or if it was just this uh fucking weirdo that they picked up on the red planet. Yeah. What- 
what Ridley Scott did to really set it apart from its predecessor was introducing a secondary antagonist to the picture. Yes. Uh, and we should probably mention that this is a, a new installment in our uh, ongoing series, The Conquest of Goo. Yes. Um, this probably won't be the gooiest movie that we ever feature. No, uh, it won't even be the gooiest movie that we've already featured. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure society has a beat. Yeah. But nonetheless, there's some goo. There's some goo. There's actually a funny story about the goo that I'll uh, get into later. But uh, yeah, what sets Alien apart from It is that, you know, uh, both the Alien from It and the Xenos from the Alien franchise are basically just dangerous animals. Yeah. Yeah. you, you, you could have your uh, your spaceship uh, in, uh, infiltrated by a rabbit wolverine and it would be, you know, functionally the same movie. Yeah, I feel, like much. Wolf- I feel like wolverine would probably also hide in the air vents. Well, I mean, if I were Hugh Jackman, that's where I would go. <laughs> He's not a big man. He is a very small man. <laughs> kind of makes him perfect casting for wolverine, really. Yeah. Just an angry short king. But at the end of the day, he just wants to sing. Yeah, <laughs> it started to feel bad for him after a while because it's just like, all right, we need you to rip your shirt off and pop all of your veins and snarl and then stab this guy. And just like internally, just like single tear rolls down inside of the face of his mind palace. <laughs> I just I just I just want to be a song and dance man. <laughs> I think people saw the uh, greatest showman. Yeah, I, I think it got pretty terrible reviews, but people seem to like it. I mean, the, they I think they, it's probably just because it Hugh Jackman was just visibly having a lot of fun making it. Probably, I mean, it's it's definitely got a following. Uh, the Tampa Theater screened it one year, and they kept having to add screenings because they kept selling out. Yeah. So someone so someone's going to see this fucking movie. Wine moms, they do love their Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman in musical theater. Come on. <laughs> And not like not, not not like dignified musical theater. We're going. Oh like, no! This is yeah. We're getting real fucking Moulin Rouge hours here. Yeah. Although uh, Greatest Showman would probably actually be a lot more watchable because it doesn't have uh, uh, Boz Lerman's editing. Yeah. His movies just give me a headache because uh, he he's worse than Michael Bay. There's like not a shot in any of his movies that lasts longer than three seconds. <laughs> and they're always moving. Yeah, just like it, it, it's like the, the, the film equivalent of playing Silver Surfer. Just so much shit, so much shit. It, his, his frames do tend to be very busy, even when they're sta- even in the in the very busy they- and loud and fast and moving. <laughs> Boz, stop the film. I want to get off. <laughs> I want to get off the ride. You can't get off the ride. We still have 16 more 80s songs to cover. <laughs> but we were talking about Alien. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> so yeah, the Alien, despite being the thing that the movie is named after, is not the true villain of, uh, of uh, the franchise, in the same way that the dinosaurs aren't really the villains of Jurassic Park. No. They're just it's animals. goddamn Dennis Nedry. <laughs> Well, man, Hammond, you know, you can say that you spared no expense, but I feel like if you had, I feel like if you had hired someone who gave this park any more thought than zero, uh, yeah. this this never could have happened. 
Yeah, you decided you spared no expense except you decided to make the entire uh all of the technological infrastructure of the park dependent on one like one guy rent, who hates yeah, one you. low rent like I disgruntled IT worker who hates you. Yeah. Because you hate everything really. Yeah, but he hates you specifically because you won't pay him enough. Yeah. So I guess you cut that you spared that expense. Very Scrooge McDuck vibes with Hammond. <laughs> Keeps a literal like ocean, a swimming pool full of gold, but won't pay the one guy responsible for running the entire security system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, at least with Jurassic World, they gave a somewhat better explanation where uh, fiendish Doctor Wu just started getting real Resident Evil with it, just just making monsters that broke out on their own. Yeah, but that was kind of a, a weird heel turn. He just kind of out of nowhere was like, by the way, I'm a mad scientist now. Look at my evil turtleneck. Yeah. <laughs> I think when he's sitting there drinking his evil tea, he also does like the 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 resting uh pose where he's got like his hands up and just like his fingertips pressed against each other. I don't yeah. remember if that actually happens or if I just remember it that way, but he just like looks at his watch. It's like, oh, it seems I'm late for. Uh, I'm late to be. Uh, I have an appointment to lower Mister Bond into a tank of sharks. <laughs> if anyone needs me, I'll be in my volcano lair. <laughs> Toodles. Yeah. <laughs> Shang, how could you? <laughs> that was a weird movie. Yeah. I never even saw Fallen Kingdom, and at this point, I don't think I'm going to. No, I don't think I will either. <laughs> But they're going to keep making those movies regardless. You know what was the weirdest goddamn tie-in I ever saw? Was that, like, fully modeled and realized Jurassic World that you could visit in Minecraft, which came out, like, six years after the Jurassic World movie. Did it come out in time for Fallen Kingdom? It came out, like, two years after that. Isn't this, like, two years after that? Uh, no. No, Fallen Kingdom's been a while now. No, it's a, yeah, Fallen Kingdom was 2018. Okay, and this mod was like last year. Okay. So yeah, still like two years after it. I suppose in theory it could be uh, like a tie-in for the next upcoming movie. Sure, I, I guess, whatever. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. It, it, was, it was just bizarre. Yeah. But anyway, we were talking about Alien. Yep, and the way <laughs> I'm tying that back is because the true villain in both is the company. Yes. And Dennis Nedry. He, to the best of my knowledge, has never been in an alien movie, and I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Yeah. That would be... I mean, some of those movies, well, you couldn't have made it any worse. Yeah, yeah. When you get into, like, the more distant sequels. Or, yeah, you know, you could have had him as, like, uh, some, like, tech nerd in Alien vs. Predator, or as just this... One conspicuously obese prisoner in Alien Three. Yeah, yeah. Ev- everyone else is just like, like very gaunt and starving with their shaved heads, and he's just like dressed exactly as he was in uh, Jurassic Park, Hawaiian shirt and all. It couldn't have made that movie worse. Um, but yeah, uh, in in the in Alien, uh, it's pretty clear that the primary antagonist is Wayland Yutani. Although I don't think that Wayland Yutani had yet been named in the first Alien. I think that might have been an addition introduced in Aliens. Yeah. So I just rewatched this the other day, and I believe it's only ever referred to as the company. Yeah. What yeah, company? Uh, I don't know. Space Trucker Mining Limited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, 
the company. <laughs> the evil one. Yeah. They they uh they you know operate a chain of uh pollution factories and uh you know like child enslavement centers, uh racism the, the, distribution centers all across the world. The CEO spends a lot of time just drinking uh scotch and scowling at a portrait of Captain Planet. Yeah. You could you could sometimes see him like driving a golf cart with a cow catcher just like trying to run over squirrels. <laughs> Yeah, uh, spoiler alert to this, what, 40-some-year-old movie. Um, it turns out that they were not drawn to this distress signal by accident, but were actually directed there by the company without their knowledge. Yeah. And they knew exactly what was on this planet. Um, I don't know if it's ever explained how they knew. Maybe they get into that in Alien Covenant, which I never saw. I thought that that was kind of touched on in, like, Prometheus and nope, whatever that... sequel to Prometheus where there was. Uh, there's no sequel to Prometheus, and Prometheus itself was on an entirely different planet that just also had a crashed space engineer ship. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Which was a bizarre getting... choice because that just kind of made that movie entirely worthless. But then again, like, uh, getting, you know, they, they didn't really, you didn't really need to know how Waylon Yutani knew that there were al- the the aliens were there because that wasn't really important to the film. No, I suppose not. Like all, all you really need to know is that uh, you know Waylon Yutani set the people up. Uh, they literally said in the in like the flight manifesto that the crew was expendable. Yeah, the double secret classified uh, mission file uh, retrieve life form priority one. All other priorities rescinded. Crew expendable. Yeah. And uh, Ripley, in no time at all, deduces that they must want this uh, nine-foot-tall penis monster for the weapons division, which just raises all kinds of more questions. Yeah. Well, because, uh, like, Whalen yutani um, you know, they, they're manufacturing, like, a bunch of just, like, industrial and commercial shit. But you could basically just, you know, if you wanted to try and get the analogy more directly, you could basically just go into the, the screenplay and just do like a control find and swap out the name of the company for like Lockheed Martin or Raytheon. And it would be the same movie. Halliburton. Boeing. Yeah, Halliburton. And much like Boeing, as we've recently learned, they are laughably incompetent. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, all, all of these, com- all of these like uh, defense contractors that get like hundreds of billions of dollars a year to build like jets that only like all they've been able to get them to do is like explode on the launch pad or be head pilots or whatever yeah was that the f-35 or whatever that yeah that that that, uh jet we we blew like a trillion dollars on yeah and And it just doesn't work yeah it's it's literally like a fucking acme gag from a roadrunner cartoon (laughs) but yeah it's like Waylon yutani takes it to a whole new level because they're basically trying to do like umbrella corporation shit but the thing about Umbrella is that they occasionally produced something that actually worked. Like, The Hunter actually worked. Mr. X actually worked. Um, we, we're only talking about uh, the first movie today, but in the whole expanded universe, they've tried multiple times to try and domesticate these uh, fucking aliens, and it never once works. I think no. it briefly works in Alien Resurrection, but, you know, it breaks down like a third of the way into the movie. Well, I don't know. Is the isn't like the conceit of resurrection that they resurrect Ripley because she has an alien in her body. 
she, yeah, she's a she has an a alien queen embryo, which they cut out, and that's what they use to start farming their own aliens. Yeah. So they managed to clone her like at the moment of death. Which I don't know how that works. Yeah, and like, she dropped the... herself into like a kettle of molten lead. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was like, how the fuck does this even work? I don't know. Ask Josh Whedon. Why did he write that movie? Oh yeah. Wow. Not well, one of the hits. Not one of the hits. <laughs> then again, I'm kind of on the fence about some of the hits. Yeah. And considering the uh, the trajectory his uh, public image is taking, probably not going to be any more hits in the future. No, probably not. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just like in the in the entirety of the Alien Expanded Universe, it's like, at what point do you just cut your fucking losses? In the first movie alone, they lose the Nostromo and the gigantic ore refinery and all of the cargo it was towing. It's like, after that, I would just be like, all right, fuck it. No, they they're they're literally the the roadrunner, or they're they're literally wily e. coyote. They're gonna just keep pumping uh, resources into this, just buying more and more ridiculous acme bullshit <laughs> until they eventually get that goddamn roadrunner. I mean, xenomorph. <laughs> and even if their scheme had gone to plan, and they actually did, and the alien just killed the whole crew and their secret android agent, it's just like. So was your plan just to have this fully grown alien just wandering around on this ship for like the 10 months it would take to get to Earth? Um, I mean, clearly, yeah. <laughs> you don't worry that it might like starve or dehydrate or something? Uh, maybe maybe they knew that it could go into like hibernation or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so it's like... Even even if their plan had worked, there's not a lot of great ways this could have ended anyway. No, I mean, yeah, the the the, the their their plan is pretty fucking stupid. And I also question like, who are they going to sell these to? Since, as far as I can tell, this future is basically run by megacorps, like in Shadowrun or something. Yeah, I don't think it's ever explicitly said that like Wayland Yutani is the government or something, but. They seem to imply that uh, it's at a point, you know, it's kind of at a point of like, you know, cyberpunk, you know, late capitalist dystopia that corporations are pretty much just the government now. Yeah. I mean, I I was just going to talk about Alien, but if we want to get into the sequels, uh, in Aliens, there does seem to be some kind of like government controlled military because, you know, the the colonial Marines are forced to cooperate with Wayland Yutani, but they don't actually answer to them yeah and what's more uh burke uh who would have been a great character to be replaced by the actor who played dennis nedry uh he 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 came up with the idea of smuggling the uh the aliens back onto earth around quarantine protocols by infecting ripley and newt so like if there are quarantine protocols there's clearly some kind of government and wayland yutani can't just do whatever they want yeah, it's not not super clear on the uh, the bounds of power here going on. I don't know. It it probably gets expounded upon in like the Dark Horse comics, but I haven't read any of those in like fifteen years. Yeah, and none of them are probably canon anymore anyway. No, I don't think so. Because uh, I believe Marvel just got the aliens back, so which would make sense since they own Fox now. Yeah. But, you know, I suppose that means that the old uh, Alien Star Wars crossover that Dark Horse did when they had both of those properties under their umbrellas can now be recreated at Marvel. Yeah, 
uh, basically just do the uh, the fucking Yuzhong Vong uh, invasion, but make, make it xenomorphs. And I think Fox also had Predator under its umbrella, so you can also bring the Predators back into it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now this is kind of just like that Pat Oswalt bit from Parks and Recreation. Okay, you see, you say that, but it's actually not that more bizarre than what the Dark Horse comics were actually like back in the day. Because it's like, there was Alien versus Predator, Alien versus Star Wars, uh, Predator versus Term- uh, RoboCop versus Terminator. Uh, I think RoboCop also, I think RoboCop also fought the aliens. The aliens fought Judge Dredd, and that's that's not the same company. It's not even the same country. Judge Dredd is and, British as shit. And uh, not to mention that they have all faced off against the uh, Riverdale cast from the Archie comics. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, if there was a Six Degrees uh, game for comic books, uh, the Riverdale gang would just be, like, the characters who get you wherever you need to go in one or two moves. Yeah, they're very much like Scooby-Doo in that regard, where it's like, you know, they've done crossovers with Batman, the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, Batman's another one who's fought Xenomorphs. Yes, yeah, he has done that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Archie's for sure crossed over with the Predator, which puts him in the same universe as Aliens. It's also crossed over with the Punisher. Yep. Uh, they just did one with uh, Vampirella and uh, Red Sonia. Sure, why not? Not sure why those two characters would even be in the same continuity themselves, but sure, why not? It's a long story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the Riverdale gang and Ashley Williams from Evil Dead because he's also crossed over with everything. Yeah. Um, he's He's been a Marvel character. He's fought Freddy and Jason. He's met uh, Herbert West Reanimator. Comics are weird. Yeah. Especially back in the day when, like, there was more than two companies controlling everything, so you had some real weirdo elements. Yeah, comics are weird. We're going to take a uh, quick commercial break, and then after that, we will be back with some more discussion about the actual topic at hand. Yeah, we will get uh, less distracted. Ideally, we will know when we get there. Yeah, what a long, strange trip it will have been. Space. No one can hear you scream. Alien. Rated R from 20th Century Fox. Man, poor Bill Paxton. Half of his career was just spent eating shit. <laughs> he eats it in Aliens. He eats it in Predator 2. eats it in Terminator. The only actor to be killed by a Xeno, a Predator, and a Terminator. Did not eat shit in Twister, though. No, but he did in Tombstone. Yeah. Just like the Sean Bean of his day. <laughs> Anyways, we are back picking up our conversation on Alien. Yes. And you had some, uh, uh, some, uh, some what have you you wanted to get into. Yeah. So I figured we would dive into a little bit of the theming since we were talking about, you know, Waylon Yutani kind of being just uh, sort of your generic uh, stock evil megacorp. Right. Like, uh, basically just uh, pretty much grown-up Captain Planet villains. Yeah. Captain Planet, I don't think, ever tackled the military-industrial complex. I could be wrong. Yeah. But I, can't, I don't I can't remember think exactly that, either. I don't think that would have flown in Reagan's America. 
Well, I think they were made. I, I think Captain Planet was coming out uh, during the Bush era. I don't think that would have flown during the Gulf War. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I wanted to touch on, um, should probably go without saying, but uh, in the movie Alien, the interests of the uh, workers that we see on the screen are pretty diametrically opposed to those of Whalen Yutani. Yes, uh, because the workers are interested in staying alive and Wayland Yutani is interested in them not complicating their ridiculous scheme. Yeah. And being <laughs> Why alive... Why can't you just is... die already, you fucking peasants? And Yeah, and the act of being alive is complicating their uh, ridiculous scheme. Yeah. Uh, so there's only... Unfortunately, this is not a di- agree-to-disagree type of situation. Yeah, there's only so much kind of like corporate PR speak about being a big family, a big like working family and all working toward a common goal that can kind of like plaster over some of the cracks in the facade. Yeah. Uh, At a certain point, uh, your differences, you know, they're kind of laid pretty, pretty stark, you know. Yeah, Uh, it's like you may view the workers in your asbestos mine as your extended family, but if you don't give them respirators. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously in Alien, the contradiction between the interests of the workers and the employers, laid pretty, it's pretty obvious. But, uh, you know, it's kind of an, more of a, just an exaggeration of, you know, an existing contradiction that exists, bet- like an existing contradiction between the interests of workers and employers in any kind of uh, employment set- uh, scenario, you know. Well, you say exaggeration, but it's like, even then, it's like comparing Wayland uh, one-to-one to like a weapons manufacturer, aren't there still like huge swaths of Texas that are uninhabitable because of uh, manufacturing depleted uranium munitions during the Gulf War and all the uh, workers who were poisoned building those shells? Uh, probably. And if not, then, you know, if it's not in Texas, we can, if if nothing else, point to, like, heavy metal miners in Africa or something like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, you you say it's uh, an exaggeration, but it's, like, maybe more dramatic, but not that much of an exaggeration. True. I was just kind of more pointing to, like, here it's literally, like, uh, the difference between life and death. Like, uh, in... Literally crude, expendable. Yeah, an alien, the... uh, the interest of the company is uh, primarily served by the workers getting eaten by a monster. But uh, in, for most of us, you or know, cocooned and turned into new alien eggs, as the director's cut reveals. Uh, but for everybody, you know, every day when you go to work, you have an interest in earning as much wages as possible for as little work as possible, while your boss tries to get as much value out of you and pay you as little as possible. There's an inherent contradiction between your interests. It's just in Alien, the contradiction is uh, you want to not get eaten, and your boss would prefer you did get eaten. So in any kind of relationship between like a worker and an employer, it's like, you know, no, we're never going to be on the same side. Fuck you. Don't try to lie to me and tell me otherwise. Don't try to give me the sort of like, you know, corporate BR, uh, PR like bullshit about how we're working toward a common goal because we have diametrically opposed interests at all times. Don't piss on my head and tell me we're one big family, as the saying goes. Exactly. It, you know, if you, if you look at like, a, like, like an Amazon like fulfillment center, 
It's like, I'm sure that they have very nice uh, things on the cork board that you can look at while you're pissing in a bottle, rushing from one shipment to the other side of the warehouse, you know? Or just having, like, uh, kidney damage from literally from holding in your piss for so long. Yeah. So, yeah, however many weeks back, we were talking about society, and we briefly mentioned uh, some other movies with anti-capitalist themes. Uh, and we uh, kind of agreed that, like, the Alien franchise is pretty much the only ones that were, like, bona fide successes. Uh, why do you think these movies crossed over and uh, resonated with the general audience, whereas something like They Live didn't? Huh. I mean, uh, uh, I, I mean, the- I mean, there is one obvious answer, and that being that uh, Alien was a major production with the backing of a powerful studio behind it. Yeah, I think that's you know an obvious answer. Another one is also just it looks fucking cool. It is an it is a great looking movie. Yeah, uh, like, uh, well, it's, up- it's it's very like the entire Nostromo is just very foreboding. Like they have an entire room that's just the chain room. Yeah, it's the chain room, the room for chains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what you you don't have a room in your house where you keep all of your chains? <laughs> and they're always they're 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 always uh, tinkling around like they're being blown by a breeze, even though they're in an airtight spaceship. Yeah, and everything's always fuck just glistening, fucking wet. Yeah, uh, as a lot of people know, the alien and the design of like the uh, the engineer's ship uh, were all done by H.R. Geiger. Don't know if he designed the Nostromo as well, but it would make a lot of sense since it basically looks like a ship for Cenobites. Yeah. Like this is what the space station from Hellraiser Bloodlines should have looked like. Just dark and just like pipes everywhere and steam coming out of random steam holes that exist only for steam. And yeah. uh, uh, a, yeah, that's a, where we keep our steam. And a wet glistening chain room. Yeah. yeah like, okay, so looking at it from the vantage point of the 20th century, it's hard to explain how all of these things are very important for, uh, you know, interstellar travel. But trust me, the chain room is essential. And uh, also our crew members themselves, uh, contrasted with, you know, uh, classic ray gun gothic space travelers, where they all have like, you know, the chiseled jaw and the crew cut and their immaculately spotless uh, jumpsuits. And here you have Harry Dean Stanton at his very Dean Stantiest. It's like every, it, it's a very sweaty uh, uh, spaceship. Yeah, like everyone but, is just everyone's just constantly drenched with sweat. Yeah, sweaty. Uh, lots of like uh, sleeveless tees, uh, flight jackets. Uh, Dean Stanton's even got a trucker hat. Really driving home the space trucker uh, thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Harry Dean Stanton was just great in these kind of roles. Uh, aside from Alien, he's probably best known as being the mentor figure in uh, Repo Man, teaching Emilio Estevez the, uh, the in and outs of uh, snatching cars, just driving around in snatched cars, always drunk as hell. So he fits right into this very sweaty uh, look at the future. Yeah. Which is honestly a much more realistic look at the future than uh, any of those Reagan Gothic movies or anything like that. Uh, probably more than like spacefaring uh, uh, sci-fi in general. Yeah. Like when we eventually do get off of this planet and start, you know, mining other planets, it's like, yeah, it's probably going to look a lot like Alien, you know. The tech yeah, will just, be different. Some fucking blue-collar schmucks just flying through space, you know, hauling like, you know, just like uh, half a planet's worth of raw ore or something. Yeah, that's that's what it's gonna be. Yeah, 
So that's all. That's also kind of a very forward-thinking uh, concept. Yeah, and I also just wanted to throw in there that uh, they took the they took the extra step of uh, put throwing in Ash, who's like the avatar of just like the fucking rat-faced middle manager, like class trader kind of guy. Yeah, like they, and they went so far as to make him a fucking robot. Yeah, like, like he looks like us, but he isn't one of us. Yeah, and a plot detail is that uh, their science officer was originally going to be uh, some other guy that the captain had worked with a few times, but Ash was uh, swapped in two days before they were set to head out. So yeah, he literally is just like the sniveling little asshole who the manager puts on your team to keep an eye on the rest of the uh, the workers. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, they went so far as to turn him into a milky robot. Yeah. Yeah, he's... he. He he looks he looks just you know they they made him a figure that you know like looks like us he looks like any of the other workers but he isn't one of us he is literally uh, a, a company product yes so yeah the major push from Fox no doubt helped Alien become successful but uh, what what other factors do you think helped it uh, get over in a way that films with comparable themes never did. Well, we we we'd already talked about the aesthetic and that kind of stuff. This movie was also probably much better for merchandising than something like They Live. True, yeah. You could definitely they definitely sold a lot of uh, alien toys and comic books. Yeah, particularly once we got to uh, Aliens, where you know now you have a platoon of space marines and you can sell little action figures with all their shoot shoot bang bangs. Yeah, so you can sell the exoskeleton toy. Oh, uh, the power loader. Yeah. Yeah. Aliens is a great movie about the importance of being forklift certified. <laughs> Workplace safety, folks. Workplace safety. Yeah. Very important. Yeah, honestly, it's it's kind of shitty, but those are probably the the two the two biggest factors are. But yeah, it, it's kind of shitty for an anti-capitalist movie, but those are probably the two biggest factors in it getting over was pushed by Fox and merchandising. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if the themes are anti-capitalist in nature, they do still exist within a capitalist system. So, you know. Yeah, I suppose there's uh, nothing doing for that. Yeah, it's kind of like the same. It's kind of like the same point that uh, you know people are always like, "Oh, interesting, you're anti-capitalist, yet you're using a phone that was produced under capitalism." It's like I am yeah, very intelligent. Every, yeah, <laughs> I am so smart. S M R T. it's like yeah fucking everything is manufactured under capitalism you fucking dolt (laughs) that's how production works yeah it's like uh you say uh capitalism is about voluntary exchange but you know where is the opt-out clause if it's so voluntary well you just have to take up the uh free will and lifestyle of the space trucker (laughs) when you're out on the open road and by which i mean deep space you're your own king. <laughs> the unwritten rule of the road. <laughs> Just watch out for them lot lizards. <laughs> In this case, they might lit be literal lot lizards. Yeah. I picked up a transdotion who needed a ride. Let me tell you, rows of teeth. <laughs> well, I think we'll close out this episode with a, uh, a quick uh, goo discussion. Yeah, always got to leave it off on the goo. So yeah, uh, while this isn't as gooey as something like uh, the, the, the society, um, the alien is uh, a very moist critter. Yeah, we talked about just a lot of things on the ship just being kind of wet. 
Yeah. Uh, not least of which being the Xeno, who is just dripping with goo in the few shots where he's, you know, majorly on screen. Yeah. And there is an interesting behind the scenes thing about that since uh, the goo was apparently just uh, off the ca- off the shelf KY jelly <laughs> that they were just dumping on this uh, this dude. Well, and- I mean, if you're going to have Giger do your set design, you kind of just need to go all the way with it. <laughs> Well, you say that, but the irony is that uh, something in the jelly didn't play well with the suit, and it kept eating through and dissolving the paint. That's very unsettling. <laughs> yeah, necessitating uh, costuming to have to keep going back over and repainting it in between shots. Really? They didn't just find a different goo? <laughs> They're no, like, no, uh, we, we bought an... We an bought a palette of KY, KY jelly. <laughs> Right. We we bought a pallet of KY and, you know, the, the rap party orgy is not going to be that huge, so... I cannot explain to you how much KY jelly we bought. <laughs> we are not going to throw it away. <laughs> so, yeah, they just kept uh, squirting uh, jelly on it, take the shot, wipe the jelly off, repaint it, repeat. <laughs> and um, that is why I do not recommend buying KY jelly. I don't know what's in there. But if it eats through paint, it probably has no business being slathered on your nethers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, This is the one substance we've discovered in the universe that is capable of taking out a xenomorph. Uh, do you want to put it on your junk? I don't think so. Yeah. It has literal acid for blood, but KY jelly is too much for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, this episode is sponsored by Astroglide. Uh <laughs> KY is going to literally kill you and melt your junk off. It'll burn and melt your dick until you die of terminal dick melting. Astroglide. It won't melt your junk off like KY. (laughs) Anyways, my name is Ness. He has been David. And this has been another Splatterpunk's goo cast. Indeed. Thank you for listening. And always use a water-based lubricant.